1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast series on New Books Network. My name is Huiying, and I'm here as one of the hosts on the channel. Today, it is our great pleasure to welcome Amanda Wainwright, Associate Professor at University of South Carolina, with her new uh, recent new book, The Golden Key, Modern Women Artists and Gender Negotiations in Republican China, published 2021 with Brill and Leiden. Welcome, Amanda.
2: Hi, thank you.
1: So uh, to get things started, would you like to share a few words about yourself, your background uh, with our audience at New Books Network?
2: Um, sure. Well, I um... I guess first of all, I should say thank you, Huyen, for inviting me to um, to appear in this broadcast and talk about my book. And um, you know, when I was thinking about speaking with you and uh, maybe anticipating some of the questions you would ask, and maybe questions that listeners might have, and thinking about what I might share about myself, I thought it would be uh, good to start with um, answering a question that I often probably most frequently get um which is uh you know p- over the years people often ask me how i first became interested in chinese art uh, chinese art history and eventually after answering this or trying attempting to answer this question so many times i realized um eventually that this all be, came out of me earning uh, earning my bachelor's degree at University of Missouri in Kansas City, um, which is in you know, midtown Kansas City. And at the time being a poor college student, I um, appreciated cheap forms of cheap entertainment. And so as an art history major, that meant frequenting uh, the local art museum probably about weekly. <laughs> so I frequently, uh, I frequented the, the art museum and in Kansas City, luckily for me, the art museum museum is Nelson Atkins Museum of Art which has a world-class collection of Chinese art Um, and uh, that's thanks to Lawrence Sickman um, and his collecting efforts really in the period that same period that is the topic of my book right Uh, 1930s and 40s and so um, you know, whether I realized it at the time or not, I spent years absorbing and learning to appreciate the contents of the permanent collection of the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art. And then later when I went to the University of Oregon for my master's degree, um, I never planned to return to the Kansas City area um, but uh, when it came time to select a PhD program, KU University of Kansas was really the only one that stood out to me, um, that appealed to me. And at the time, I thought I was interested in Chinese Buddhist sculpture, but um, I later became enthralled with the art of uh, early 20th century China. And um, and again, this is probably a happy accident because KU is where um, Jucy Ling uh, Lee Li, uh, taught for decades, and He's one of the first scholars in the U.S. to appreciate, collect, and teach modern Chinese art. So um, by the time I arrived at KU, you know, I arrived in Lawrence, Kansas, he had long since retired. I think I only ever met him once, <laughs> but um, but his tenure at KU profoundly shaped uh, Spencer Museum of Art's collection, and it gave me a wonderful uh, re- wonderful research opportunities. And so that really led me to where I am today.
1: Thank you for sharing. I think it's really interesting to hear your almost serendipitous encounter with this art collection. And um, I would just follow on what you just said and ask, um, so how did you decide or how did you come to write this particular book, focusing on modern women artists in early 20th century China?
2: Mm right um, yeah so I guess I would say the short answer to that question is that it's done for my dissertation um, probably not surprising for a, a first book right. Um, my dissertation focused on Choti um, who later became the subject of chapter two of this book. Um, I suppose a longer answer uh, is that when I chose the uh, chose my dissertation topic, I felt the implicit support of my advisor, Marsha Hoffler, who decades earlier, um, under the name Marsha Widener, had been responsible for two trailblazing works on women artists in pre-modern East Asia. Um, One was uh, an exhibition catalog, Views from Jade Terrace, that focused on Chinese women artists uh, 1300 uh, to 1912 uh, and uh, the others Flowering in the Shadows um, which is an edited volume on Chinese Japanese um, uh, women painters. And um, so as I was exploring potential dissertation topics uh, what I discovered is that the tremendous changes of the Republican period uh, in its art fascinated me. And of all the artists that I encountered in my research, those of or the Storm Society appealed to me most because they seemed um, collectively, they seemed so determined to fight the status quo. Uh, And of all the members in the group, who could be seen fighting the status quo more than uh, it's only officially recognized female member, Choti, right? So I think um, as I started narrowing in on my dissertation topic, um, Marsha recognized a kind of kindred determination um, uh, in my research to bring to light an artist who had previously remained relatively obscure, primarily as consequence of her gender, right? And um, and so she never dissuaded me from the topic, even though Choti's own daughter, Dao, um, actually told me, you know, I, I interviewed her and she told me um, that sh- she was concerned that I would really struggle with this. She was really glad that I was taking this, um, uh, taking her mother up as a dissertation topic, but she was worried I struggled to find enough material to support a dissertation. So spoiler is, I did find in that material. I did complete a dissertation um, on Choti, but the main feedback I had uh, um, that I received on that dissertation was that the committee really wanted to know more, uh, even more about Choti's uh, peers, her female peers, and how Choti's experiences were similar to or different from those of other women artists of her era. Um, And so when I turned to writing my book, I decided to broaden its scope. uh, And I discovered that the trajectory of Choti's career was largely mirrored by other women artists of her era. And um, and this of course is because they were operating in uh, a powerful social context that was fixated on concepts of modern womanhood um, or what it meant to be a woman in early 20th century, not just in China, but globally. Um, And so much of the rhetoric um, espoused in contemporary discourse draws on a global dialogue um, of so-called new women uh, who were to be educated and independent and who could actively contribute toward the betterment of society as well as, in theory, determine their own fates. Um, but in early 20th century, China, the, in China, the new woman bore even, uh, even more responsibility, um, not just for herself, but for the very nation, right? For all of China, um, as her successes promised to either, you know, or they promised to overthrow outdated, what were considered outdated Confucian morals and traditions and thereby help the struggling uh, nation, the Republican nation rally and modernize. So in my book, I greatly enjoyed um, exploring these larger issues and then saw how they bore down on uh, you know, really in some cases with crushing weight on the lives of individual women artists.
1: Thank you, Amanda, for sharing kind of your journey in finding the key or the golden key to this untold world of modern women artists. I think uh, from now on, we will be moving on to the main gist of the book and we will be uh, revealing a little bit what is the golden key um What does golden key mean here? And also the main thread, as you just mentioned, what does new woman or modern woman mean to um, early 20th century China? So um, to start, um, I was wondering how did Republican media or media in early 20th century China portray the women artists for example, Guan Zilan in the contemporary periodicals and how this particular woman artist used her public persona as the modern lady to invent and define her new occupational role through performance.
2: Right. Um, I guess, you know, I I just want to take a a moment and and mention because I I think, You know, it might not be obvious with um, with the title how it ties into um, what uh, the content of the book, but. so much of this discourse uh, on women artists and their roles in, in modern society um, took place in the um, periodicals of the day, particularly in Shanghai. And so one uh, uh, woman educator, um, Jin Chi she actually, in one of her uh, essays, she talks about how arts, the, the arts, visual arts, are the key, the golden key that can um, um, uh, lead to uh, women's liberation, right, and women's participation in in the society. Um, so that's what I draw on then for the title, and then I talk about how, um, particularly you know, in the first couple chapters, about how uh, these the lives and careers of these individual women artists. Uh, intertwine, right, with that narrative, right, that discourse. Um, So looking at Guanzalan, right, um, viewing the media coverage of Guanzalan from the distance of here, it's almost 100 years later, right, Um, and this was fascinating to to me, at least, Um, and so obviously, in some ways looking at the media coverage of her from the uh, late 1920s early 1930s it was very revealing of the rise and fall of trends and conventions right but on the other hand um what was more surprising to me again at least was how this media covered coverage really tended to epitomize the saying the more things change the more they stay the same right so um So here, Guantalan, here was a woman who, for at least a period of her life, had a very close relationship with the media, um, which documented all aspects of her life, from her uh, career and her artworks to her fashion and her social circles. And you might say the same about any number of female celebrities today right that there's tremendous media scrutiny of their not just their careers but also their lives and all aspects of their lives and so the medium has changed you know in guanzalan's day she appeared in magazines and newspapers while today we use uh, social media and websites but the phenomenon is the same right um and guanzalan in in her li- you know in her lifetime in the 20s and 30s she was right in the middle of a huge phenomenon Uh, of her day, uh, which was centered on the celebrity modern artist. And um, in particular, the celebrity of the modern woman artist who was typically identified as a nu hua jia or a woman painter um, as a distinct cultural professional as an identity or um, an occupational role. And um, and of course, you know, there's major social historical developments driving this interest in artists, both male and female. Um, but for new hua jia uh, especially, their prevalence in contemporary discourse is intertwined with a focus on social reform, right? Which I was alluding to earlier. And so, you know, this idea of the new woman and uh, the so-called liberation of women. Um, but, uh, a vexing question, right, with the media coverage of Guan and really of all the women artists, is how much agency did the women themselves have in this broader discussion, right? And so, in my book, I argue that Guan uh, manipulated the media herself as much as it may have attempted to manipulate her, and she was able to quite cunningly. Use the media to her own advantage. And we see this in, um, and, you know, I provide examples and we see it in coverage such as uh, the embedded reporter uh, who followed her uh, and documented her trip to Japan in almost real time thanks to modern technology. Um, so I, you know, I guess I hope that answers your, your question, so on. salon, uh,
1: this female artist, is one of the leading characters for the chapter, for the first chapter, A Beacon in the Distance. And as Amanda just shared more, um, the chapter goes beyond the Guanzalan's life story or what her deeds or her achievement, but um, kind of discusses the social movement or social happenings at the time. Um, So here, what we were trying to do is to introduce a little bit to our audience uh, and uh, hope you could... find find it more intriguing uh, or more oriented when you start to read the book yourself so um, for the next chapter the second one that backs to uh, Chioti, the protagonist you already mentioned of your dissertation so here in chapter 2 how was Chioti's career shaped by the dynamics of the storm society she participated in gender politics at the time
2: Mm hmm Right. Well, um, perhaps unsurprisingly, um, it's complicated, right? An answer (laughs) to that question is quite complicated. So, um, on the one hand, um, Choti received acclaim as the Storm Society's only female member. Um, and the publicity that she received tended to focus on her gender uh and her as well as her relationship with um her husband, fellow group member Peng shun um, So it could be argued that she owed her very success to gender, right, to her gender, um, and that possibly there was more interest in her identity as a new hua ja or female artist than in her actual artwork, right? Um, on the other hand, right, during her career, Choti tended to be pigeonholed and typecast, and uh, you know most notably in my, um, as I argue in my book, um, she this occurred really in the um, the writings of the Storm Society's spokesman Nida. Um So her identity as a woman artist was distorted to some extent to build claims about the progressiveness of the avant-garde art group that uh inducted her right um which at the same time crowed about its exclusivity uh, by proclaiming or publicly proclaiming her Choti to be its only female member when in fact she most likely was not. She was not their only female member. Probably, um, as I again talk about in this chapter, probably the Aung was a founding member of the Storm Society, but that disagreed with the narrative that Ni Da was, um, that he sought to construct. So it was conveniently forgotten, right? Um, so, but if we'd return to Cho uh, you can, Imagine that her early artistic career was largely marginalized and controlled by the group's interests. And what this meant is that her name and image was trotted out strategically for publicity. Um, But in Nida's articles, he clearly prioritized other as male group members. That said, even if she was in some ways treated as a token female member of the group, at least she had gained entry, right? Um, and what happens is later, you know, like at least that gave her a platform. Being a member of that group, even though it was to some extent controlling, you know, her her image. She did have a platform um, and uh, a public profile and so later after the group disbanded um, she struggled to even continue her career Um, and her husband meanwhile was able to maintain his career as the breadwinner of the family but um Unfortunately, because of wartime, um, wartime forced her into the role of a stay-at-home mom. Um, and, uh, and then after the war, just the very, um, you know, the, just the very concept of avant-garde artist was just, you know, avant-garde artist was no longer a viable career option, really, for anyone.
0: This episode is brought to you by sax.com At sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe
1: Thank you. I think here, um, as you briefly recounted, Chapter 2 talks about Chioti as well as others, um, how they negotiated or um, interacted with one of the social discourse at the time, particularly uh, gender politics. And I think that in Chapter Two, you are venturing into another kind of modernist uh, discourse or social discourse, uh, focusing on the women artist Pan Yuliang. So, um, how did Pan Yuliang's engagement in the modernist discourse surrounding this newly popular genre of the female nude painting challenge conventional gender theory and modern art theory? Mm-hmm
2: right yeah so this is a very interesting question um thank you yeah so um so right so in chapter three uh i look at uh and almost in in many cases i'm, I'm attempting to use these women sort of as case studies of larger trends or topics or themes um so uh You know, with uh, chapter, uh, first chapter, Guanzalan, I'm looking at women's relationship in in larger society and in the media um, and these ideas of of, uh, modern womanhood, a new woman, um, and so on, the idea of a new huaja the chapter two, I'm looking at um, Choti and group dynamics, right, gender politics, right, as you point out. Um, And so here in chapter three, I'm looking at the genre of the nude, right, which was hugely popular, um, and perhaps I think for some people, surprisingly, some people today, surprisingly popular uh, in modern China. So um, so if we're talking, so I think that there's multiple ways we could kind of uh, take apart some of this um, uh, question. Um, in terms of Pan Yudan's own participation in the production of images of nudes, particularly female nudes, I would say that she fit right in Right. She fit right into the prevailing modernist discourse. And at the time, then, conventional gender theory and modern art theory, at least that held by the reformers, those who wanted to reform uh, Chinese society and the modern era, Um, the conventional um, theory was that women could and should pursue education and careers. And of course, this belief extended to the visual arts as well. So women were accepted into coeducational art programs, including life drawing classes. Um, and Panyu Lang um, even became an educator in some of these programs. Um, so I wouldn't say um, that she challenged convention so much as upheld newly formed conventions, right? Um, but, in writing about Pan Yulang and her art practice, what's really challenged are today's um, prevailing notions about art and gender, right? Our, um that is widely held assumptions today, are widely held assumptions that the nude was rare and controversial as a subject uh, in early 20th century China, um, or that women weren't active players in China's early uh, 20th century art world, right? And what I aim to document in my book is uh, that not only were women actively contributing to the development of the art world, but they also engaged in the dominant trends and practices of the day, including painting the female nude, which was held up by art theorists such as Nidhi um, who you really can't escape at this time. <laughs> he's, he's so influential um, and so, um, you know, uh, prominently published, right? Um, But he's he and other art theorists um, are holding up the nude, the female nude in particular, as essential to the modernist cause. So scores of women artists were painting and sculpting nudes uh, and exhibiting and publishing their images in high-profile venues.
1: Thank you. Um, I think... Pan Yulian is indeed um, very representative, as you were saying, for um, this avant-garde women artists participating, not just in new forms of um, expressing themselves, but new genre, new content, new subjects of painting, and uh, supposedly reach to a, a wider audience for different kind of Uh, coming to this subject for different kind of purposes. Um, And for the next chapter, um, I think it gets more... um, solemn the topic as we kind of passed the prime day or heyday of um, avant-garde or female avant-garde artists and we're moving on to this intense time during the 1930s where political campaigns and wartime hardships are not only putting uh, uh, causing problems to uh, other parts of the society but definitely impacting the uh, occupational choices or other uh life trajectories of these artists particularly female artists and here um we read about three modern artists' stories, including that of Liang Baibo. You mentioned that um, connecting to Ying In Chioti's story, but I would like to point out this uh, Liang Baibo is the author of the front cover uh, cartoon or illustration of this book, which is very provocative. I sh- hope I could show you via the podcast, but it's, um, it's something that. You just want to open the book and find out more what indeed the cartoon means. Um, so here, Amanda, I want to ask: What do you think uh, is the most extraordinary aspect in there in these women artists' participation and struggle during this time in a war as a women artist?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so this is a very difficult, this is a very hard question. Um, and I think that um, that's because this this chapter uh, takes on so much, really, um, admittedly. Um, for instance, this chapter, this one chapter discusses three women artists, whereas um, in each of the other chapters, I focus on just one woman artist, right? So already it's, it's dealing with... Uh, quite a a bit more than the other chapters, Um, but also because the women that I discuss in this chapter found themselves on opposing sides, right? Um, But uh, the aim of this chapter is to show, however, the uniformity of that um, adversity that they encountered no matter which end of the political spectrum they associated with. So that's what I'm hoping um, ties the chapter together, ties ties the three of them, my discussion of the three of them together. So uh, for example, Fang Junbi was closely aligned with Wang Jingwei's puppet government um, in Shanghai. Um, and I, I guess just to, to explain, this was um, a government that was largely propped up by uh, the invading Japanese uh, forces, right? Um, and so Fang Jingwei, she was close friends with Wang Jingwei and her artwork was, um, as I talk about in that chapter, was exhibited in support of the Wang Jingwei um, regime. Um, and But this was also then a re- an arena where uh, women's autonomy was sidelined in favor of more conservative values, uh, values of modest behavior and um, attention to homemaking rather than their careers. Um, while Yufeng and Nguyen Bai produced anti-Japanese propaganda for the resistance, right? The, you know, fighting against that Japanese invasion. Um, and they were operating in a space with uh, few career opportunities for women uh, and uh, really where women were typically portrayed, if at all, they were t- portrayed as almost entirely as defenseless victims, right? Um, so what we find then and looking at these three women really operating on two or posing opposite sides of political spectrum um, is that in both cases um political rhetoric narrowed the acceptable portrayals of womanhood for the purpose of propagandistic imagery um, and it also shut down many women's professional careers in the arts um, this was with the intent of fitting them into the military apparatus, right? Into the war effort, whether as good wives and wise mothers raising the next generation of fighters um, that we see uh, more on, uh, you know, Fang Junbi grappling with, or as um, maybe nurses and fighters themselves in the fight against the invasion, right? Which we really see on the other side of the resistance. Um, so I suppose... Um, this is what is extraordinary, right? It's that um, the fact that the opposition that women artists faced in the late 1930s in China was so pervasive, right? Um, but you know, despite this, a few of these women were able to maintain careers, right? Despite the <laughs> despite all the adversity they encountered.
1: Yeah, I, I really like this book, uh, this particular chapter, as it seems to go beyond um, art history theories or particular, like, one discourse, but um, talks about women's livelihood. Um, as as it happened, a, a, an artist and living in 1930s, be it Shanghai, Chongqing, or elsewhere, and how she um, struggles or juggles, Different kind of perspectives, choices, uh, all kinds of choices, and um, not much trying to shine, but during this time trying to survive.
2: Right, more or less. Right. Yes. Yeah, so if you're uh, so finding strategies as a woman artist to, to continue um, your, you know, your professional interests, right, just keeping your career viable. <laughs>
1: So um, I was wondering, in addition to all these captivating stories and uh, extremely fascinating illustrations you included, is there anything that you had not included in the book that, that you wished you could?
2: Oh yes, I mean, Tons, right. Yes. So um, first of all, there are many, many women artists, right? Many women artists who uh, are not included in the book um, simply because they would be difficult, difficult, um, difficult to discuss um, in any detail or at length because even less has been recorded of their careers, right? So there's simply. Um, uh, too much of a challenge to work into this book, um, but also the art itself. So I'm I appreciate that you enjoyed the images, um, and as, from my perspective, perspective, right as an art historian, um, one of the like you want to see a book filled with images, and a, sort of a concern is that I was there. I wish there could have been more. Right, that it would have been wonderful if I could have had double or triple the number of illustrations. Um, But in so many cases, the images that I'm discussing simply no longer exist, right? Or they only exist in in these uh, tiny little grainy black and white reproductions from the periodicals of the day, right? So, um, you know, as you can imagine, it's very difficult to explore and even assess an artwork when that's all you have to work with, right? These tiny little um, poor quality reproductions from magazines. And you know, really, in general, like so little of the artwork from this period in Chinese history has survived, right? Remains extant, and that's true for most artists, including men, right, of this period. Um, but it makes it particularly challenging to resuscitate the forgotten careers of these women artists when there's so little um, extant evidence of their careers, right? um Now, um, so related to to um, to both these points that I, I would have loved to include more women artists in general in the book as well as more um, examples of the artworks um, is uh, related to this is an archive that was sent to me by Ellen Johnston Lane uh, a number of years ago, um, probably almost as almost a decade ago um, And it consists of a collection um, of, uh, of, uh, they're all mentions of women artists um, that occurred in the Tianjin newspaper, uh, Beiyang Hua Bao, and uh, she mailed to me then this collection of photocopies and and then these uh, note cards. documenting, you know, all the, the bibliographic data, you know, from these. Uh, and so it's really, you know, looking through it, then it's really an impressive enterprise that she undertook. This was when she was putting together this archive is way back before digital scans, right? Much less online databases. So she went and found, you know, a collection of these Beiyang um uh newspapers, and she went through every issue and photocopied and notated each relevant page by hand. Um, and we're talking about um, photocopies of photocopies of old newspapers, right? So with snippets of information about many women who we know very little or almost nothing else about, other than just what, what this little remnant that appeared in a newspaper. Not to mention. Um, most of these women artists uh, featured in *Beian Hua Bao* or the, um, the Tianjin newspaper were outside of the modernist camp, right in the art world at the time. So I never found a way to incorporate them into um, the in, or in, incorporate that archive into my book. Um, so, so that's one thing that I, I wish I could have included, but I wasn't able to. Um, so, actually, now that the book is completed, that's one thing that I am working on, is I'm currently working on a website that hopes to breathe new life into Dr. Lang's wonderful and painstaking archive, as well as then uh, incorporate the own resources that I came across, in, uh, and some of which were not included in the book either, um, in the process of researching my book.
1: That is so wonderful. I think it makes everyone who has read the book or not, but interested in a topic to have a, um, some database to go to, to uh, whether it's about modern artists and in China or women artists in um, early 20th century China, As I, uh, if I understand correctly. That will be um, um, extremely useful for graduate students or other researchers. Um, getting to know the topic or finding specific information that you are working on. Really look forward to the website. Yeah, oh, please you. keep posted.
2: Thank you. Yes, I, I hope to, um, I'm hoping around the end of this year um, or very early next year to, um, to be able to publish the website, at least an initial version of the website um, online. So uh, please do be looking for it. Um, the name will be New in the
1: news. Okay, I hope we will be able to um, put the web link on the podcast um, introduction if it becomes available.
2: I'll make sure to send it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: Okay, so, after we spent quite uh, 40 minutes talking about the golden key um, and this fascinating stories negotiating their paths as a woman artist and living through early 20th century, this turmoil period, uh, early 20th century China. So um, what are you working on now or what is your next project, Amanda? Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Well,
2: um, so... You, you know, you, you mentioned that 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 you know, there's sort of a general trajectory, right? That all these women's careers uh, t- careers take and a um, sort of arc. There's the height, um, a, right around the mid 1930s, um, and then and then they start they lose ground um, and. In most cases lose their careers entirely uh, with the the start of the second sino japanese war um, and that's that sort of heartbreaking chapter four right when i talk about um, those three women function being now by Bo and yufang and so that's where i really <laughs> leave them and i re- i end the book is with that um with that chapter and in just that Already, I felt like I was, I was. There was so much more to be said within that chapter, and not just about women artists. It's really a fascinating period um, with art in general that I think up to this point, um, relatively little has been published about. So that's going to be the subject of my next book. That's what I'm working on now. Is um, the art of wartime China. Um, primarily focused on that, that period of the second Sino-Japanese War, 1937, 1945, but also going um, a bit further, You know, seeing as I write the book, seeing how much I want to go into the Civil War. Um, that immediately uh, followed. And, um, and not just looking at women artists, but also not ignoring them, right? But really looking at the, the art field um, as a whole. And so also, you know, this first book really focused mainly on modernist art, but broadening. So even though the, the period I'm talking about really is gonna narrow down, overall the scope in terms of artists will, will broaden. Um, and so I've, I began, I, you know, I've been working on an, uh, a, an initial article manuscript on the, um, cartoonists, the National Salvation Cartoonists Association, um, in that, you know, right around 1938 and their interactions with the, uh, with the media, um, media publicity and, uh, Representing themselves really as fighters, right? Even though maybe they're not physically fighting, but they're fight- using their art as weapons in the war against Japan. Um, and then, you know, having, again, taking thematic looks, kind of like with my first book, but with each chapter sort of um, focusing on a particular theme. Um, and, you know, having, uh, overall, having a, a broader view of the, of the art of that period.
1: Mm, I think it's not just a fascinating but um important topic that you're researching like it's not just uh, art art about war but these um artists living through wartime and um making art whether uh to uh to exhibit or express certain perspectives toward war or even not relating to the war directly but definitely influenced by the ongoing war
2: right I that think. is true and and you know in some cases we're we're talking about survival strategies on the part of the artists and other times you know it was viewed by some artists as you know an incredible opportunity to really transform um the arts in China, and, and it really ended up being a transformative period. Um, so I, there's much to talk about. I'm, I'm very excited about this, uh, <laughs> this same project, but lots of research and writing love to do.
1: Me too, I was excited. I, I think it will be a wonderful book, uh, not just about the art, but also about the wartime period, and also about um, the, the life stories of these artists, but also the stories about the artwork. And the social history of China at the time, or global history, um, all all together, all combined. Please keep everyone posted about your new project.
2: I I will do so, yes. And please watch for that uh, website. I'll I'll try to share the link with you um, soon. Definitely.
1: Okay, okay. Time indeed flies. And thank you, Amanda, again for sharing with us your. Thoughts and more, um, kind of review, a uh, reviewer spoiler for the book, uh, "The Golden Key: Modern Women Artists and Gender Negotiations in Republican China," published in two thousand twenty-one with Brill. Um, this is all for today, and uh, I look forward to our next episode. Bye bye. Thank you.